said earlier, please pray for Jim and the entire Kirk household. Um, COVID-19 has been sweeping through the Kirk family, and uh, as we've already prayed this morning, uh, it's, it's our prayer that Jim would be spared, uh, but that God's grace would be manifest at home with the Kirks. Now, what this means is that I've been promoted from my usual sermon distributor role um, under Pastor Mike to sermon reader this morning. And um, I guess I'm fulfilling what you find at the end of the book of Colossians, where someone's instructed to read the whole letter to the church at Laodicea. Just think of me like that. Now, most of the words in this morning's sermon are, in fact, gems with a few minor tweaks, and I'll leave it to you to guess where those come in. More importantly, though, uh, the word that we will share today is from the Holy Spirit through the scriptures to all of us. I think what you're seeing this morning in in the service today is an amazing team effort. And and to me, that's a powerful example of the kind of transformative Christian community that the Apostle Paul talks about in our passage today. I do want to point out a minor typo. Carrie read the correct passage. It's actually from Romans chapter 12, not Romans 1, which is what it says in your bulletin, if you were confused by that. So let's consider together this incredibly rich, incredibly challenging passage from Romans chapter 12. Let's begin with something that I know is near and dear to my wife's heart, and uh, apparently to Pastor Jim's. Most of us know Peter Jackson as the famous director of The Lord of the Rings, and The Hobbit, how many people have seen some of those film adaptations? Yeah, most of you. Apparently, he's also a massive Beatles fan. And um, last year, he released a documentary that's on Disney Plus entitled Get Back, that involved watching hundreds of hours of raw video footage from the studio recordings of the Beatles' 12th and final LP. Anybody know what that's called? Let It Be, that's the name of the album. And uh, this is the album that culminated in their famous rooftop concert in central London, which was shut down by the police. Uh, Peter Jackson's documentary, Get Back, is a mere eight hours long. And uh, if anyone's seen the whole thing, I have not. I've seen a part of it. Uh, Please talk to Pastor Jim. You guys can have a lot to discuss. It is a fascinating experience, though, to be immersed in the creative process of the Beatles. The challenging personalities, the complexities of the recording process, the conflicts. Uh, You see George Harrison, for example, quit the band, and he's talked into coming back uh, after days of pleading from the other members. And you see moments of absolute genius. It's all there in the synergy between these four men, and well, plus there's Yoko Ono, who's never not in the room. Now, the reason all this footage existed for Peter Jackson to sort through is because the previous Beatles albums had been created through a much more disconnected recording process. Members of the group had drifted apart, and Let It Be was an attempt to get back in the same room to make music together. The documentary is named for a track on the LP called Get Back. Uh, And if you're my age, and I want to point out Pastor Jim is vastly younger than I am, Uh, it's unforgettable. Get back, get back, get back to where you once belonged. Maybe you've heard a cover of this song if you haven't heard the original, not sure. See, the Beatles realized something important, that something powerful happens when people are together in the same space 
And I wanted to get that on film in this documentary. Now in this post-COVID world, there's something that rings true about this theme of get back, at least for me. While trying to get back to normal community life, Jim's absence today, well, it's just another reminder that it's still going to take some time. What we need during this time, I think, is renewal. That's why in the short series, Pastor Jim's been considering the theme of renewal. Last week, we looked at John 3 and learned about renewing faith. And today, we're thinking about renewing community. Now, this is Pastor Jim's sermon, so you might guess that Romans 12 highlights three main important points uh, and dimensions of Christian community. And this will help guide us in our thinking about this passage. Let's look at this text under three headings. First, the call to Christian community. Second, the character of Christian community. And third, the creation of Christian community. The first section is verses one and two, the second verses three through eight, and then the final section is in verses nine through 21. First, let's consider the call to Christian community. There's one word in verse one that needs some special emphasis here. This is the word, therefore. You may have heard a Bible study leader say, whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask what the word therefore is, therefore. It's a connector. It connects what came before to what's coming. In this case, Paul's concluding everything that he said in the first 11 chapters of Romans, absolutely massive. What were the first 11 chapters about? Anybody wanna give me a word association? First 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Okay, here's salvation, that's good, great. Anything else, anybody else? I'll run with that. Salvation, yeah, it's about the gospel. Remember in, in chapter one, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe first to the Jew and also to the Gentile. It's about the good news in Christ. Later in Romans 5, 8, maybe you remember, he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is truly good news. And the first 11 chapters of Romans are about that. In fact, Paul tells us that here at the beginning of Romans chapter 12 and verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. He spent 11 chapters talking about those mercies. The mercies of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus. So the message of salvation by God's grace through faith is what he's been focusing on. And so now Paul turns in chapter 12 and he's asking if God loves us like this, how should we respond? What should we do about it? Here we see the first important thing about the call to Christian community. It's the response to God's grace. Now some members of our household read through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic work Life Together several summers ago and uh, in this short book, Bonhoeffer sums up the truth of salvation by grace through faith and the difference it makes in one crucial sentence. He says this, Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. 
It's rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. An ideal is something you don't yet experience, but that you're committed to achieving. It depends on your effort and the effort of others to bring it about. Christian community takes effort to be sure, but in this case, Bonhoeffer says, the effort is God's. The foundation of Christian community is what God has already accomplished in the person and work of Christ. There's still something for us to do, but it's more like living in a family than trying to start or perhaps reconvene a rock band or, or other career that you might think about. In a family, you're accepted because you just are part of the family, whether you're born into it or adopted into that family. And in the same way in Christian community, you're accepted and you belong by grace, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. When you see that reality, the reality of Christian community for what it is, uh, it's really liberating because now the pressure's off. It doesn't depend on us. Specifically, this message frees us for two things. First, it frees us to bring our whole selves to God. God has given us life, and in response, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's imagery here is rooted in the Jewish temple. At the center of temple life was the regular sacrifice of, of animals as different kinds of offerings to God. But, but now, instead of sacrificing animals, Paul says that we Christians offer ourselves as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual worship. Or as the King James Version puts it, this is your reasonable service. The Greek word here is logikos, which shares the same root as logos, word. So the worship that Paul has in view here involves not just our bodies, but also our minds. In response to God's grace, we bring our whole selves. Well, uh, a second aspect of this liberating freedom of the gospel is the call to community as a call to transformation. Uh, verse 2 says this, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you bring your whole self, if we bring our whole selves into a community in which we are loved and accepted by grace, it's bound to change us. It'll protect us from what I, not Pastor Jim, call the deformative effects of our culture. J.B. Phillips paraphrases this verse this way, don't let the word squeeze you into its mold. The antidote to that kind of Confirmation, that squeezing, Paul says, is transformation as we're renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit in community. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians should expect to be at odds with the dominant values of the culture at every turn. Notice that later in verse 17, he says this. Uh, Paul says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In every time and place, there will be points of alignment between the values of the culture and what the church believes. 
but there will also be points of tension. As Christians strive to be discerning in how they use money, sex, and power in ways that aim for the highest good of all people as image bearers of God. Well, that's the call to Christian community. That brings us to our second point, the character of Christian community. As you may have noticed in your uh, thoughts for reflection today in the bulletin, church historian Alan Kreider, in his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire, has argued that the Christian church grew in its first centuries because pagans found it attractive. And what they found attractive was not its worship services. After Nero's persecutions in the mid-60s AD, the Christians closed their worship services to visitors. And yet, the church was still growing remarkably, even though it was hard to be a Christian in those times. Why? Well, Kreider argues that non-believers were drawn to the lives of the Christians their concern for the weak and poor, their integrity, even in the face of persecution, their life together, their sacrificial love. He quotes from the second century church father, Tertullian, who said this, that the Christians provide for all sorts, for boys and girls who lack property and parents, and then for slaves grown old and shipwrecked mariners, and for any who may be in mines, islands, or prisons. The Christian's economic behavior, Kreider says, and Tertullian contends, is visible to their neighbors. Vide, the neighbor said, look, look at the Christians. Their meetings may be private, but their effects can be seen in people's lives. So the character of Christian community is crucial, and Romans 12 gives us some important guidance in verses 3 through 8. We can say uh, two things here. First, Christian community requires a certain kind of behavior. And secondly, this character results in a certain kind of community. Let's explain. Well, first, Christian community requires a certain kind of character. The essential character trait that Paul highlights in verse 3 is one that I personally struggle with. I, not Jim. And that is humility. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Humility is essential, if for no other reason than because this is what we find in Jesus, who, though he was the Son of God, became a servant, willing to suffer and die on our behalf. But humility is also essential because it's through the doorway of humility that we enter the Christian life. Every Christian confesses that he or she is a sinner in need of salvation. Now, when you have a whole community of people who confess that, something powerful happens. Humility results in a certain kind of community. And in verses 4 through 8, Paul illustrates this using the metaphor of the body. Just as every part of the body is distinct and yet connected to the whole, each person in the church has a distinct role to play while remaining a part of one body in Christ. That's what Paul says in verse 5. In a world that's so divided in every possible way, politically, socially, racially, 
the witness of this kind of countercultural community is deeply needed. In a recent interview on Russell Moore's podcast, the well-known environmental activist Bill McKibben uh, wrote about how his Christian faith also informs his hope for the future. He said that the enormous wealth of the last 50 years has allowed people to live without knowing their neighbors. If you have a credit card, he says, you can survive without ever needing to interact with another human being. This is unique in human history. But McKibben believes that the situation is changing due to climate change and other economic factors, perhaps other political factors, we might add. Here's what he said. One of the most distinctive things about America is that three quarters of Americans don't know their next door neighbor. They may know their name, but they don't have a relationship with them. That's unique in human history. For 50 or 75 years, having neighbors, the neighbors were supposed to be loving, has been an optional thing for Americans. But my guess is that in the next 75 years to come, neighbors are not going to be optional. We're going to be dealing with extraordinary problems. So my guess is that solidarity is going to be important. And the question is, what form is it going to take? Nationalism? Or is it going to take the form that the gospel suggests? Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, tending the sick in all the ways we know how. And in doing it across lines, being the Good Samaritan, knowing that God loves way beyond our particular sects and into the world at large. Through the church, and as we go into our different household groups and neighborhoods, we have the opportunity to show the world that this kind of community is possible. Well, we've seen the call to community, the character of community, and finally, let's consider the creation of Christian community. In the last part of our text today, in verses 9 through 21, Paul shows what the creation of this Christian community looks like in the details of everyday life. First, remember what we said at the beginning today. Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And as we look at verses 9 through 21, we see that. Consider how nearly each one of these sentences could be related to a story from the Gospels about Jesus. He is the one who shows us genuine love. He rejoiced in hope. He was patient in tribulation. He was constant in prayer. He showed hospitality and blessed those who persecuted him. The point is that these things are first a reality in Christ that become part of our lives as Christians as we participate in his body. The story of Jesus becomes our story. Now, another historian of the ancient world, Kyle Harper, was once asked in an interview about what made the church distinctive in the late Roman world amid all the cataclysms, plagues, and social unrest at that time. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. He said this, what was important to the early Christians was to orient one's life toward the larger story, the cosmic story, the story of eternity. They did live in this world, experienced pain, and loved others. But the Christians of that time were called to see the story of this life as just one of the stories in which they lived. The hidden map was the larger picture. 
This is what Paul is doing in these verses. He's not just giving us abstract moral commands. He's showing us how to orient our lives, ourselves, to the larger picture, the story of Jesus and his love for the world. In verses 9 through 21, we see two broad ways in which Paul uh, urges Christians to live. First, they should have an attitude toward one another that is marked by love, goodness, affection, honor, and service. And they should have an attitude towards those outside the church marked by blessing, even toward those who, per per who persecute you, persecute us. They're to extend care, to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, harmony, humility, and peace. Verse 13 holds the two sides of this together really nicely. Paul says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The word for hospitality in Greek is um, philoxenia, and we, we get a, a, the word xenophobia from a piece of that word. Xenophobia literally means fear of the stranger, but ho hospitality is the opposite. Philoxenia, love of the stranger. And so verse 13 is saying, contribute to the needs of the saints. Care for those who are inside the church and seek to show hospitality. Love the stranger. This is the essence of the kind of community that we're, we've been talking about this morning. It's a community that experiences God's love and its life together and at the same time looks outward to welcome the stranger and the lost. In the back of the sanctuary today, on the welcome table, you'll find a few posters. They look like this. They're really beautiful. And uh, we've created those to share on campus. You're welcome to take one if you have a good place to hang it. I'm thinking about where I might hang one myself. They've been uh, made especially for Eagle Heights, where uh, Willem and Amber Murray live along with many international students and families. Willem will be uh, putting these posters around the community to let new students and family know that, that we are here as Geneva Campus Church and we want to welcome them to join us. That's just one small way that we can show hospitality, but it's a good reminder that hospitality has been and ought to be part of our DNA. Over the coming weeks, we'll be seeing new students, including friends from Eagle Heights and from around the world, and we get to show them philozania, to love the stranger as God has loved us. As we do this together, we participate in the reality created by God in Christ, the reality of his self-giving, sacrificial love. Do you believe in this reality? Let's believe it together. Amen.